Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. What's going on, everybody? We've got Steel Rocket on the podcast, Slinging Steel. You may have run across him. He's a commercial diver, a third-generation commercial diver out of Big Pine Key in Florida, the Underseas Dive Shop. Uh, his family started that, and if you're familiar with Big Pine, you know exactly where that is. A uh, lot of history, and he gives us a good perspective of commercial diving, making a living doing your commercial diving, what that involves, what it entails, and what the challenges are, including getting bit by a loggerhead sea turtle. All right, that's Steel Rocket coming up. Here we go. Boom, I got hit in the back. I'm like, what the heck? I'm like, I'm dead. You know what I mean? Like, what? I look over my shoulder. And it's just giant, 300, you know, 250 pound, you know, auger head. And you just cry. He bites my shoulder, but he grabs my, my wetsuit like this. I'm like, oh my God. And I elbowed him in the face. <laughs> I'm Steel Rocket, and this is the Tom Rolink podcast. Steel, what's up, man? And how you doing, man? Good. Same old, same old. <laughs> I'm good. You've been out, uh, you've been diving today? When's the last time? Yesterday? Yesterday was the last time. A couple days in a row, starting from yesterday back. <laughs> On your Instagram and YouTube, it says you're a third-generation commercial diver. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Yep. Third generation. Tell me how that starts. Well, long story short, uh, my family came to the Keys in, uh, in 1969, and they started one of the first dive shops. Basically, my grandfather was running trips anywhere from to the reef, you know, Luke Key to, you know, K-Sal back in the 70s and wow. so. What was the dive shop? Where was it? It was um, it was in Big Pine Key. It was called Underseas Incorporated. Next to Tom Thumb, it's a little gas station. It's an old property there, though. Does, does your family still own that, or? Um, it was, so it was from 1969 to 2017. Yeah, basically. that's where. Uh, isn't that where Manny was home based out of there too? Oh yeah, no, that was my dad's one of his best friends. They used to dive together commercially. Yeah, yeah. he's lived together a couple of years even, I think. I remember the first time I ever uh, ran into Manny back in the day. Um, I pulled over to look at, at somebody fishing off the side of the road. And um, it was this famous fishing guide. I was like wondering kind of what he was doing. So I pull over there right by Ramrod Key. And man, I was just watching this guy fish. And then I look up and there's an alligator right in front of my car on Ramrod Key. And dude, Manny came flying in there uh, and jumped out and got that alligator, tackled it. And uh, it took him down into the mangroves. And I was like, oh my God. And went out there. I was like, hey, you okay? He's like, you got a rope? I said, no, man, I don't have a rope. He goes, all right, call underseas and tell him, man, he got an alligator. And I was like, okay, I I, I get, okay, I will. <laughs> but that was my introduction to him. Uh, but the underseas dive shop. So your 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 family started that in 1969. Yeah, yes, sir. That's amazing. Was your family already in the diving business, or so basically, my family, my dad's side came from Philly, and then my mom's side was from upstate New York. And they both um, used to, well, first, my mom, my mom would vacation down at the Keys all the years ago in, like, the 70s. And so 
And then my dad, my dad, you know, they ended up coming down and making a dive shop in 69. My dad was six, I think, six years old. Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, 63. So that, that's his, that's his um, birth year. So, yeah, he was six years old when they came down. Okay. And just jumped in. Uh, my, my grandfather was um, a world champion um, motorcyclist at the time. And he was just, I guess it comes with the adrenaline seeking, you know, or what. But he just wanted to pioneer and come down somewhere where there wasn't much yet, you know, and kind of go into that world. Man, in 1969, like, I would imagine the tourists didn't really die. I mean, I don't know. What was it like then? It seems like, I mean, that was back in the day of, like, Jacques Cousteau and, and you know, like, there was a good bit of diving, like, on TV, like Jacques Cousteau. He was he was out there and he was showing like I remember growing up, I was born in 1968. So not very, you know, your dad's six years older than me. But in my childhood, like Jacques Cousteau, that was a big deal. And they Mm -hmm. were showing a lot like it would be on like the regular TV. There are only three channels and it would be on there. So I would imagine that that did bring some some, you know, tourism down to the keys to dive. But it just seems kind of early. Right. For that. But I don't know. Like, were they busy back then or was it mostly commercial or or what was the business um, around? Like, was it tourism or, or commercial more? Uh, it was weird because um, it, like my dad would always tell me is it's hard to believe now is that like um, he said in US one in front of the dive shop, they would play football and then be like car, <laughs> you know. Like you go there now, you know, you big pine stretch, like you can, you know, it's a normal highway. It's right. US one. So it's like, they definitely, you know, obviously didn't have as much, you know, circulation with people as much as we do now. But at the same time, I guarantee you, they have people with similar ideas that just wanted to venture, come down and see an incredible place. But it definitely was less accessible, you know, right. because at that time, you got to realize that we don't like before that, you know, a couple decades back, we only had, um, you know, a ferry from No Name Key to, you know, I think it was Matacombe. Right. That's all we had. And we ain't had these roads or nothing. So it's. I could see people being like, wow, we have roads down here now. Maybe we should, you know, have access. So I, I guarantee you they probably made some profit off, you know, like the people that are coming through and everything. And also the few commercial people that were diving at that time because it's such a, you know, still being established, all that. And so the commercial diving then, um, where were the fish being sold? I mean, some of these places, like I, I believe, um, I know, like I know some places in Key West, definitely. And then... I want to say I'm not sure how I gotta confirm with my dad, but I'm pretty sure that some of the places like the one on Kudjo there, that same building's been there for so long. Yeah. There's the Kudjo sales and everything. Loki Fisheries called. Yeah. Now I actually sell to them still, so it's kind of funny. But I know they've been as long as I can remember, at least since I've been selling fish, they've been in business, and I believe they go back a ways there. That's cool, man. So your dad gets there when he's six, and his dad was already he's already diving, and that was his idea to to start that dive shop. And then, um, and then, so when do you start diving? Like, when do they get you in the water? What kind of diving? Like, I mean, I, I could swim before I could walk. Um, I know that. And then I was free diving at, I know I was around two or three or so. I know scuba diving, I was around four or five. I started scuba diving. Wow. I know that. I hit 80 feet and shot my first black grouper when I was nine. I got a picture of that. Wow. And that's scuba? Yeah, that was scuba. I, I could free dive 100 feet by the time I was 15. Dang. And, um, yeah, I just can't, you know, that's one of those things I can't really remember when I actually started, but it's kind of like I, it's all I know, you know, it's kind of like my same with, with my dad started really young too. And, you know, it's kind of a 
family thing. Like, <laughs> yeah. And so when you, uh, when you're 15 and you're, you, I mean, did you get your own boat and you start heading out on your own or are you still diving with your dad or how, how's that working? Well, when I was like, at least I think I was six or seven, I had a water tender or so, you know, that is like this little, um, the old school, I think they just brand them as West Marine boats now, but oh, those yeah. little dinghies that they sell at West Marine, yeah. they're like mini whalers, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I used to have, had a, I forget, I had a two and a half horse engine on it. It's funny now because I have twin 300s and I'm right. like, wow, I feel like I came from somewhere, you know? But like, I literally had a two and a half horse on this tiny little boat. And I think the prop was plastic because they were so worried, you know? And I remember I'd go and I'd go in the bay and I wasn't allowed to go, I was in um, Port Pine Heights and Big Pine. I was not, not allowed to go past um, the first island outside the canal there. So I'd do that, and I'd, I'd, I'd dive a lot of the canals and stuff like that. But then I moved up to a Boston Whaler when I was, like, I want to say, like, 12 or so. And that's when I was able to do a little bit more stuff, and I was a little older, a little bit, you know, more knowledgeable. And I moved from there. I ended up eventually getting um, a number one, you know, that, like a 42 number one. Yeah. I had a golf permit on it. I used that for a couple of years. And then now I'm running my 29 CV with an Atlantic permit. Okay. And when you first start um, commercial diving, what what kind of license do you need uh, to do that? How how young can you be? It sounds like you were selling fish when you were pretty young. It matters which aspect you mean because there's the MLD, which is a tropical fish license. That's my other job, by the yeah. way. And then there's also the you know commercial spearfishing. The commercial spearfishing falls under the same commercial fishing um, requirements mostly, unless you have a stipulation type one like a long line permit, you know. Mm -hmm. But let's say a South Atlantic grouper snapper and a Gulf Reef permit, they both are spearfishing permits. They cover that, you know what I'm saying? Okay. So basically, like my dad had the, these are really hard to get, you know, they, they do not just buy it from the government. You have to actually buy it from another person. Mm -hmm. And there's even more to that. You got to look into it. But it's basically that they make it not accessible. So it's kind of like a grandfathered in thing. So I was diving on my dad's boat when I was young, doing it commercially, you know, the, you know, how that's the right the way you're supposed to do it. And then, you know, basically like on my own boat, I was, you know, a lot of recreational stuff, but I would go on my dad's boat also, and I'd be covered under his license for the, you know, like uh, marine life and stuff like that. See what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. And so, so how do you split up like the, the, the year between tropical fish collecting and, and spearfishing when you're doing this as your sole occupation? So what I do based off my, a lot of times is um, seasons. So yeah. a lot of times, you know, you know, with most people, grouper is a big one. Like I, that's my top seller. That's very hard, you know, fish to get very good food grade. And so when they close and I have to, you know, like this time of year when I have to get, you know, Amber Jacks and Pompanos to make up for it, I, I have a little bit more time to do the tropicals. And also the, the algae that covers the bottom. Yeah is less um, plentiful in the winter because there's less photosynthetic, you know, you know, abilities because there's less sun, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a better time of year overall to find, you know, critters, you should say, you could say, you know. So is there ever a time that the tropicals uh, would would pay better than than spearfishing? Or is that, I don't know, I don't know what the, I don't know what the, the value, I mean, I know that some of those fish can be incredibly valuable, but mm -hmm. I don't know like what the collector is getting off of that, like, Mm -hmm. Maybe they're super marked up in the in the pet store or wherever they end up. But how does that how does that work? Is there ever a season or a time that you make more off of off tropical collecting than you would off spearfishing? So here's the thing about it. I've always looked at it this way: is that um, 
you got something that's a gamble and something that's really exciting, something that is really dangerous. And, you know, it's a very exploratory and that's your spearfishing. Mm-hmm. You know, I can shoot a fish that's a 50 pound black grouper. That's a $500 fish. You know, the prices of them are, are $10 a pound usually around now for restaurants. And thing is I can either shoot that fish, get, you know, $500 or I can lose it. Um, to it, whether a shark or, you know, rips off or whatever, bend my shaft, ruin my shaft, that can either go from $500 of profit to losing a $100 spear shaft. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So we got, it's, it's, it's definitely a gamble. But then let's go over the tropicals. Tropicals are more like, I know I'm going to get what I'm after usually, you know, like I guarantee you as long as I have some visibility, you know, even if I have, depending on what I'm collecting, if I get, you know, sponges and stuff even, you know, then I, I don't care if I have, you know, 20 inches of visibility. It's fine, you know? Yeah. So it's like I can work with it more and the income's more reliable, but you, you know, I mean, there's, there's, it's definitely slower pace, you know, it's, it's not an opposite I'd say, but it's very different, more reliable, but less of a gamble, you know, like one choice won't be the maker, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like deal. Yeah. Yeah. I want to know more about the tropical fish collection because I, I know people that do that, but I honestly, I don't know very much about it, but we have this little section of the show where we do this, uh, the, uh, hot seat where I ask you these questions and it's like either or questions, which you prefer. And, uh, sometimes it gives us a good, uh, a, a few other things to talk about during the show, but we'll hit that right now. So you ready to, ready to go through the hot seat questions? Yeah. yeah yes, sir. All right. So cooking or catching? Catching. But I like both. <laughs> yeah. Drive or fly? I'd say fly. On, on the water or be drive though. <laughs> yeah. Chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate or vanilla. Um, chocolate. Text or call? Uh, text. Favorite social media platform? I'd be Instagram. And do you answer every comment or you do you never look at the comments? I answer some. <laughs> <laughs> A favorite fish to spear? Kubera. Nice. One million now or 10 million later? 10 million later. <laughs> One thing you've learned in the last year that's made you money? Look behind me when I feel like there's a pompano. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, most challenging thing about commercial spearfishing? Conditions. The easiest thing about commercial spearfishing? Being in the ocean. Okay. A movie that makes you laugh? It's like History of the World Part 1. <laughs> Would you have a reptile as a pet? Oh, yeah, I have. <laughs> I love them. <laughs> Non-fishing destination you'd like to visit? Or non-spearing destination. No body of water. <laughs> I, I guess. I guess there could be water there. But you don't plan on going to fish. The Amazon. The, the Amazon. Amazon. Okay. Yeah. Top and the top fishing destination on your bucket list. Some place you'd love to go. It's between. Um, it's 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 between Norway and the giant halibut spearfishing, and it's between um, like Tonga or one of the places that they get those giant dog tooth. Yes, that dog tooth tuna, man, that thing is amazing. <laughs> one day. One species you would like to spear, I guess it's the dog tooth tuna. Yeah, not that. And also, I really want to, I tried to pull spear one for a record, but it was too fast. I want to get a rooster fish. Okay. And Baja, I guess, is where you would go for that? I, I was in Colombia. I almost okay. got one. Okay. But yeah, any of that stretch, you know. Yeah, very cool. One thing you've changed your mind on in the last two years? Not expanding outside of commercial spearfishing. Okay. And now you do want to expand? Yes. I've been doing guides a lot more and all that stuff. Things okay. when I was younger, I was like, <laughs> I don't know. The commercial realm takes you away from that type of stuff, you know? Right. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, one piece of advice you live by? Stay positive. <laughs> I was. I thought you might say watch your six. <laughs> But yeah, stay, I don't want to be super positive then, though, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that would be my my advice uh, for, for someone that makes their living in the water. But um, 
so that's uh, one piece of advice that you live by. That was the last one. So tell me about how you, uh, at one point, you did not want to expand past commercial spearfishing like that. Like when you're growing up, you're just like, that's it, man. I'm just going to just going to be a spear fisherman and, and nothing else is even interesting. It's 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 more like I remember being in a school and everything. And like, like I just my dream was so long, which I see my dad's pictures of Manny and everything. And like all these fish in the square group were all those pictures of my dad and stuff. You know, there's a restaurant over here yeah. and like. You know, when you're little, you just look up to that stuff so much. And I'm just like, I just want to set a nice goal for myself to get a nice big boat and, you know, just travel the Gulf. And, you know, I was do seven day trips and stuff like that. And like, I never fought fast that dream because that dream alone was so incredible to, to buy a Gulf permit and to do that. And I ended up achieving that, doing that for a couple of years. And it was incredible. But then that's what I mean is like, you know, we're human, you know, we always want more. We got to check ourselves, of course, sometime. But, you know, when it came to this, I was like, especially when I went outside the country the first time, went to Costa Rica and dove and like, it just blew my mind. I'm just like, wow, I can set huge goals for myself, you know? And like, if you can almost do anything, you really put your mind to it, right. you know? And now I've, I've guided people in the Bahamas, you know, I've worked on, you know, yachts and stuff. And like, I've, you know, I've done some awesome things. And of course, it's definitely a learning process because I've always joked and like, you know, where I come from and stuff is like, if you're a commercial fisherman and stuff like that, you definitely don't learn the same skills as a charter guy. Like right. the patience that comes with the people and all this stuff, like there's some amazing people you'll take out. You'll meet some incredible people. That's probably one of the biggest things I've learned over the you know time I've, I've you know gotten into it more and more is like, not all the people are going to be really hard to deal with, but you're going to have some, and that's, you know, part of the game, though. But physically speaking, it's it's easier. Mentally, I always say not, but physically, the work is definitely not going to kill you as quickly as the commercial stuff. <laughs> I used to load my 42-foot boat with, you know, I'm not exaggerating, but my ice hold alone would hold 4,000 pounds, and then I had 2,000-pound boxes. I had 6,000 pounds of ice, 60 totes, you know, to totes wow. of ice. And I'd go out there for up to seven days, and I'd have, like, one other person and stuff. And I loved it. I'd explore incredible places that some people may have never dove, and it's great. But, you know, it's not something you can do forever, you know what I mean? Like, right. especially the spearfishing, it, it's so much on your body you know oh i can't i can imagine i mean and when you're doing that and spearfishing you're on on scuba or are you free diving as well or bo a combination of of both or how do you do something like that that's a good point you have too because that that's another thing i should mention is like uh, this deep scuba is the stuff especially i mean too it's like to do like i used to just drive all night you know out there and then i dive all day and do these 200 foot dives on air and stuff like that and like you know like i'd get i've had the bends before it's terrible but that's one thing but then it's like long term doing a lot a lot of dives like that you know what i mean it's not gonna make you you know what i mean <laughs> Right. any healthier obviously so it's like it's like anything in life i feel you got to find a balance of like everything you know it's just like buoyancy you know you got to find a balance right it's like i always want to do commercial servicing probably as long as i can you know i'm not saying i don't want to give it up but i could have something as another income that is still my loves you know than being in the ocean and you know but france outside my box a little bit and you know just improve you know not only my business but you know myself you know what i mean yeah yeah, for sure. And so you you look at that as maybe like gui guiding would be would be a, a a way to do that. Yeah, like see someone else, you know, go down and safely get a, like one nice beautiful fish, and they come up and they're happy. And I'm just, I'm so used to my head. I'm like, 
that's not even going to pay half my gas. You know I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you that's know? the difference. I mean, I mean, same with a charter captain, like, you know, if you're like a tournament fisherman, right. And then you go into charter fishing and somebody catches one fish and it's taking forever and they're barely able to do it, but they're having this really great time. And you think, man, we would have caught 50 by now. Like, you know, if we, like me and my partner, we would have just kept catching and kept catching and kept catching. But it's like this whole mind shift of, of like, okay, that's not what we're out here for. And until you get there, like some people never get there and they're just stuck in this, man, like you guys aren't very good and I'm not willing to teach you how to be very good. And I'm just going to be impatient and grumpy all day. And then you have the other people that are like, okay, I understand what we're doing. This is very different than commercial diving, or this is very different than tournament fishing. And we're just out here to have a good time. And these people like catching the big fish is not what is going to make their day. What's going to make their day is learning something, seeing some really cool stuff and having a little bit of success, right? Like a little bit of success for a commercial diver is like one fish, two fish, like you said, where like, I don't know if it's a lot of people get more into, oh, well, you know, we can't stop with one. We need 12. And then they do it 12 times and all of a sudden it's not fun anymore. And they didn't. And, and they've you've ruined the day. Right. Have you yeah. what what has been the hardest part about moving into um, more of a being an entertainer and in, in being more of a, a guide, I, I guess, than spearfishing or 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 collecting? Like, what is the difference? Well, I'd say, well, for one is that I've, I live for the variable, you know, that's why I like diving and it's like, there's few places, you know, I'm not going to say, I want to say nature in general, not just the ocean, of course, but to me, the ocean is just, you know, I mean, it's, you never know what you're going to get. And so to seek that variable as I always have, but to be able to like, you know, this also opened up, up opportunities for me to learn myself and to go out to places that I really don't know what I'm going to see and also, you know, be able to teach people there at the same time. Because I can't go to somewhere in commercial. I mean, I actually, I have done that, you know what I mean? Because like, like help my, like for example, I have a friend in Yucatan that's a commercial spiritualist and I've gone there and helped them. But, you know, most of the time I'm not going to go and, you know, dive commercially in their country, you know what I'm right. saying? So it's like to go there and be able to not only learn from someone else, but to teach another person, you know, especially when I've gone there a couple of times and, you know, could take someone else to, to, you know, guide them there. Then it's like, it's, it's definitely, you know, another form of, uh, uh, you know, I don't know what I'm going to get. It's like, yeah, it's definitely opens up opportunities, you know, and it also opens up like, you know, it, it's, it, to me, it's, pers it's personal growth a bit because like, I've, I've, like I said, I've came from a place where it's like, you know, <laughs> everything's gotta be perfect you know like we're on time you know like you just gotta just you know yield every spot this and that is so much pressure but to be able to go out and like just take someone and like you said just put them on one nice fish is just like you know it's different in itself it's really different and also it but you plan your trip differently it's one thing to commercial and be like i can go to this spot you know get 40 snappers a tank you know like this i'm talking the golf especially and like you know and blow it up and everything and, you know, paying my gas up and start getting the profit. But it's like, I'm totally thinking different with it with the person. Like, okay, I go to this spot. He might get one big cobia. That's going to make the guy's trip. See what I'm right. saying? Yeah. Like, it's just, a, it's a different, it's a different challenge, as you could say, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> what about the skill level of the, of the people that are, are coming? Are they generally capable or is there like a, how do you, how do you assess like, as a, even as just a, a fishing guide above the water, 
you can assess what someone's skills are pretty quickly and decide, okay, we're not fly fishing for tarpon today. We're going to be snapper fishing by the, by yeah. the, by the bridge. Like how do you quickly assess that in a, in a spear fishing situation when you, when you have people come down because like your physical capabilities and experience and, and knowledge and know-how of what's going on is super important. I mean, like life or death important in a lot of cases. So how do you, how do you put someone on a challenging, but realistic situation, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Well, that's the thing is like, I want to offer, um, like, especially, uh, you know, like, well, things are new and everything, like, just like, um, you know, like requirements, like, you know, people, like only the people with requirements, like, you know, like, let's say like they've, they're a level two free diver at least or so, or, you know, they have this many dives and, you know, I'm thinking, you know, a lot of them, like, like the people, like I want to see as clients or like I've known already and stuff. But then as I get, you know, more established and everything and like, you know, like learn the side of it more and more. Then I'd like to take people that are a little bit, you know, down the line a little bit and everything. But you know, safety first. And like better or down the line, like more beginner. Be more, more beginner. Okay, you know? more beginner. Just because safety and everything, and like you know, what I mean, it's like, like I said, it's a new thing that you know, like getting all the aspects of it and everything. Because like I said, I I'm the type of person like I told you before, I did 200 foot scuba dives, but like you know, like I will. Like I love the adrenaline. I love the, the the you know the craziest spots possible. Like I love the opposite. You know what I mean of like what you're supposed to bring someone to on a on a on a charter thing. But that's why I feel like it's a good balance because I can always do this without having to rely on it killing myself. You know, like a shoulder hurting and going to sleep at night. You know, oh, I'm yeah. saying like I I could have some sort of balance there, but definitely with people that know what they're doing. You know, in the beginning stages. Yeah. Yeah, that seems to be that would seem to be the trickiest. But I would think that there would be a really good opportunity to have people book like a week long trip and you could take them from in the very beginning of whatever their skill level is to how how far could you have them progress in a week? Like if that if you knew that was the the idea that they're coming down and they're like, look, we may shoot some fish, we may and we probably will probably going to have some success. But the goal is that I want to go from this level that I am right now to wherever you can take me at the by the end of the week. And I think that if you had if you would have an opportunity to book people for like five days in a row, where you know they could that would be the idea is that you're going to learn a ton and you're going to get a lot of experience and you're going to learn the right way to do things. And then it's going to, you know, then next year you come back and you're at this level and now we can take you up to the next level and you come back the next year. And it's like every year you're, you're, you're progressing a little bit um, until you can do the stuff that, you know, that they want to do. Right. But it doesn't come fast. Like you need experience. That's also why like I'm, I'm chopping, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm like knocking it off pieces at a time because like, I want to like to do that, especially I feel like I, I want to become like a, like a free diving instructor, for instance, mm-hmm. like I'm like, I, I'm like a one or two stages underneath that right now. See what I'm saying? But like, in order, then I can do that and be like, Hey, I can, you know, teach you to go this deep first and everything. Cause that also make me feel more comfortable too, you know, yeah. as well as obviously, you know, that person should feel more comfortable because like then they'll have confidence too. And also I'll have confidence in them because I know they can hit a certain depth. What about the, what, let's go back to the tropical fish collecting. I think that's kind of interesting. I know we've never talked about that on the podcast uh, here 
so there'll be some people that are interested in that. The the collecting that you're doing is mostly for tanks, right? For for collectors and fish tank enthusiasts. Pet shops first. Um, we don't sell directly to the public um, usually, but um, basically, yeah, to the retail stores. Um, and um, oh, by the way, it's interesting. There's only about forty of us. Oh, really? In the United States. In the United States, not and, yeah. and most of them are probably. I think they shut down Hawaii, and there's just the MLDs in Florida, and I think there's 35 to 40 of us. That's it. And do fish come from the Bahamas and other places? Do they collect over there, or Haiti is a big one. Okay. Um, there's some from Puerto Rico, but um, especially some like Haiti and stuff like that. Some of the practices aren't that um, you know really good for the fish because mm-hmm. sometimes they formaldehyde as yes. like their scarer, which we have quinoldine. Which we rarely use, but if we do, it is it's been proven to be okay. You know, the you know, I mean, FWC allows it and everything. How, how would you use that? Well, that's what, I, what I'm saying is, uh, basically, they use it in the same way, but it's a different chemical. The idea of the chemical is they 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 spray it into like um a hole, and you know the fish comes out the other side. You know, and that said, there's only some fish you have to use it for. You know, like a lot of times you use your hands to catch everything. Like I haven't used it in years, for instance, you know, uh-huh. but I'm just giving you an example because they'll use that as their form of what we have, which is quinoldine and theirs is formaldehyde. Oh. So what happens is a fish gets cancer and dies six months later. See what I mean? Oh, and then you. the reef around it dies. So it's like these practices are, you know, really not good and there's nothing, no regulations, you know? And so it's like, we have to use, you know, all these stipulations and all that. And there's only 40 of us. And then we're fighting this huge, you know, operations overseas that are, you know, they have no stipulations at all, pretty much. And so it's not something you buy. It's expensive permit too. It's like 180 to 100 grand. But the funny thing is, it's like, it's a labor of love. You know I mean? You're not going to get rich off it. You're not going to, you know I mean? It's, there's so many, like, for example, angelfish. Uh, every species has a different slot, you know, like a snook has a slot. Mm -hmm. Like I have to get a black angel is a inch and, um, an inch and three quarters to eight inches. I mean, if he's any bigger than that, it's not legal. If any smaller than that, it's not. But then example, you got, um, you got, uh, we call it, you got blue angels and stuff like that, like different species. And then those are like a little bit different. You know what I mean? It's, it's all different ones, you know? And so it's, it's, you it's it's interesting trade. It's definitely its own thing. So how do you know what which fish are are most in demand? And I would imagine year over year that changes, just like anything else. Like one fish is just more in demand this year than than another for whatever reason. I don't know. Um, but is there a way that just like with the fish prices that you can check before you're you're spearfishing, you know how much you're getting per pound? Like is there uh, some sort of resource where you where you know which fish are in the highest demand. So with with this business, it goes by orders. So it's like you have a you know a, a client like a pet shop, yeah, and put an order in and see what you can fill, kind of deal. Okay. And so it's like I will say, usually the pet, the most expensive ones are rock beauties and angelfish and like those sorts, um, tangs, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, pretty much uh. The thing is, um, a lot of this stuff though, you can't just get fish a lot of times. You got to get inverts too, you know, invertebrates. Mm-hmm. So, like a common one is, um, you've heard of turbo snails, Astrea. Yeah. Yeah. Astrea snails. You ever see the guys by the bridge in the boat just sitting there? You probably see my dad's boat, the blue CV yeah. by the Spanish Harbor. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's what he's, he's doing, out. catching those snails. Yeah. Yeah. But basically, like, um, there's a bunch of, you know, I mean, like, there's, 
only 40 of us, but the majority of us are, are around the lower keys. Yeah. And the thing is, like, there's even other boats that go, you know, the grass flats. And that's, like, one of the common grass flats. That's just one of many areas, though. There's and, millions of these. And so those the grass flats, they'll get out on the grass flat and walk around? Is that how you collect it? Because I see, I see some people, I see this one guy a lot. And he, he takes his boat and he, he waits until low tide and he gets out and he's waiting around on the flat. He's collecting something. He's not fishing. Sea cucumbers. Sea probably. cucumbers, you think? That's yeah. what he's doing? Is that yeah. like a, a commercial collection? Yeah. No, um, that's one thing that they sell. That's that's sold for not always um, for pesto is that, um, that a lot of them, they think there's there's certain, um, you know, things to the – to like what they're made up of like people believe that they cure cancer and stuff oh, and gotcha. some other stuff like um i think it's big in japanese medicine i believe or chinese medicine yeah like i believe it's somewhere some foreign thing I, i've even had calls for it like they they use it but they definitely believe like a big one i heard is that uh, it, it, it gets rid of cancer i believe okay so tell me about, more about the snails the snails are the the black snails that i see on the bridge like on the pilings? They're triangles. Okay. You know I mean? Little yeah, yeah. tiny triangles. Yeah. And there's just millions of them. And then they have like a a, a pearl-colored operculum. When okay. you look on, top, on the bottoms, it's pearl-colored. Yeah, you've seen them. They're probably the most common shell that yeah. like, there is around here. And so that's that's one that you can just collect as many of those as you want or what? They're limited. They're, they're limited. Um, it's like a... I mean, just just like a one bag limit per you know license and everything. But there is, I'm talking. If you look at the seagrass and look close to yeah, these yeah. areas, there is just thousands of these things coming up. Right. And so you only take the big ones too, as well. So they have their. We have our own. We don't have to do that. We can sell small ones. But you know, I mean, we have our own unsaid regs between us too and everything. Okay. So 40, uh, 40 guys, and then how do you catch all the all of the fish without? I mean, like, what's the what's the method of catching them? You said you just catch them with your hand, but like, some of those fish would be pretty tough. I know there's yeah. there's like a sucker thing, right? Like you, yeah. Like, does oh, that work? That, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, no, that that's one of those ones. It's like you know, you hear stuff in your trade, and like uh, people always ask me about the sucker guns, and like the only thing I only know <laughs> the one they work for neon gobies. I know okay. that. And that's like the one thing they work for, though, that I know of, and some small stuff, yeah. But usually, I don't use the sucker guns so much. I usually use them. Um, tropical fishnet uh-huh. in my hand usually yeah. um like i said i haven't used that the, they have chemicals you're allowed to use that are like um soluble but you know um, I, I, I don't i haven't used them in years you usually don't need to but um basically if it's a fish that can be caught like you know it, between a hole and not uh, sorry between a rock you're good but then if you have stuff like jawfish where there's no other way to get them you have to spray that stuff in there see uh-huh. so i haven't i've only gotten normal fish between rocks so what i'll do is i'll I, I've always said this helps my spearfishing. This is like one of the biggest things that helped me be a good hunter. I believe is that collecting fish because it's one thing to put a shaft inside of a fish and kill them and get the fish. It's another thing to catch them alive and healthy. That is much harder than spearfishing. And yeah, I'm, I'm, it's it's mental. It's so so mental. Um, what I do is I I plan what I'm going to do when I see the fish, depending on how that fish thinks. Down to the species, I don't even mean family. Like I'm talking like ver- like a queen angel versus a you know black angel behavior is different. You know, yeah. Like I can catch queen angels and and French and sometimes well, not French just so much, but um blues with my hands alone, no net at all. If I do the right thing, 
what I'll do is I'll wait for them to go by where I want them to go. I'll slowly swim by like a turtle or something, you know, that's not aggressive. And so they, they're, they're kind of curious. They'll just keep doing their thing. And if they're by a big coral head and stuff, I'll just just leave them alone and everything. But when they swim off the coral head, and let's say they go by a small little, you know, rock or something, like a small one with like two two openings, you know? Yeah. Then I jump like a bull shark and scare them real quick. And that makes them hole up out of instinct because they think, you know, I'm, I'm not human. I'm Kondrickley's family. I'm, I'm a shark or something, you know? Yeah. Like, so, and so his, you know, you know, his mind is going, hey, you know, I'll get into this rock. You know, I'm not bleeding or anything, too. He's not going to, you know, get into this rock. They don't do that, sharks, you know? Like, that, that's at least their, how I see it. That's their instinct because so many, you know, years of being chased by things that nothing really goes after him into a rock. And right. so what I do is I jump on him and he'll just shove his body in there. And sometimes I can honestly put my hand underneath and just pull him out in the rock there. See what I mean? Because yeah. they don't expect you to do that, you know? <laughs> And so, yeah, it's all mental. But then it's like you scare them into, like, a big coral head and stuff, then they've got plenty of places to go and everything. So it's it's a different thing. It's all about catching them. It's, it's a lot to do with your structure you're working with, too. If there's a badass reef or something, yeah. then just forget about it. You know what I mean? So when you're down there collecting, um, when you're spearfishing, obviously you can have a spearfishing stringer. You can get a fish, and you can you can maybe shoot more than one fish, especially if you're on scuba. How do you do it when you're collecting fish? Do you have to take just that one fish up, or do so, you, is there some way to carry them? So you ever see those fray bill plano things, yeah. the yellow things? Yeah. We just cut holes in those usually. Okay, I've been doing those for years. Yeah, oh, like um, a shrimp, like a shrimp bucket, right? We like, just call them planos, you yeah. know, and uh, we just we we take the 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 buoyancy out of it though. Mm-hmm. And then basically, like, um, we bring those with us a lot of times. And the thing is, um, people don't realize that fish get bent. Fish get the bends, you yeah. know. Yeah. It's like, I know fisher, you know, a lot of fishermen realize that. But, like, the majority of the population doesn't understand that, like, you know, you can't just, like, pull a fish straight up. Their air bladder will expand. And so another thing is when you have these tropical fish and they're in distress, you know, like semi-distress, you know, they're caught and everything, they won't regulate their air bladder correctly. And so you got to decompress them like they're scuba divers. Isn't huh. that funny? So you yeah. hang them off the side of the boat. Let's say I caught some in like 50 feet. I'll hang them at like 25 feet, 20 feet or something. Well, after, you know, I won't bring them all the way up yeah. and let them deco. And I'll actually get in the boat and let them regulate their air bladder. And then if they come up and they're still bent, you get a, um, I, a um, IV needle yes. with the hole in them, you know, uh-huh. and you can actually get the, the pop their air bladder and take the air out of them now. And, and they'll heal up. They're incredible healing at that. You yeah. just got to do it the right way, though. And so then to, to transport them back to shore, you just throw them in the live well or like what anything special that you do with these fish? It matters what it is. A lot of times if it's like fish fish, you know, like angelfish and all that stuff, uh-huh. then you actually have to um, separate them in cups a lot of times because isn't that crazy? They'll it goes fight? to show you, you know, like, um, you know, anger's blind, you know, like after all, catching them and everything. They'll beat each other up, you know, yeah. during that. And it's like, you know, they don't even see a tr- the real enemy. And I'm saying, like, you know, like, I'm, <laughs> I'm the one that's catching them and everything. And they'll still kill each other. And I'm just like, you got to cup them and separate them because that, that's, you know, sat specifically as species, for instance, is like that. But then I'll have, like, a big trash can full of water and have a lot of water for them and choose that usually. Or if it's inverts, um, like, it's like anemones and, you know, like, um, corally morphs and stuff. Then they're incredible. Like they, they, I just have a bucket of water, and all as long as they're not on top of each other, they're good. I've mm-hmm. seen them do incredible things. Those those guys, they're 
they're just, you know, some of these inverts out there are, are really interesting about when it comes to, you know, like they, they just are super, super hardy. That's why they're a big thing in the trade. If anything, what, what, what incredible things have you seen them do? Um, well, I mean, like I've seen, I've seen things where my buddies sent me like pictures where like he got anemones for me or something, you know, for his tank. And then he's like, Oh man, this one was in, I left this one in the bag on accident. You know what I mean? This and that. I'm like, Oh my God. Right. And then he looks and it's in like, like a couple drops of water and anemone is just fine. Just hanging out there. But it's weird as long as they stay wet, you know, and but you got to realize what anemone is. Anemone is a, you know, it's, it is not one animal. You know, you got a city you're looking at. You're looking at the, the animal, which is a structure. Like imagine just the structure you're seeing. Don't think of any colors, but then now add the colors. The colors are the photosynthetic dinoflagellate algaes that live in the tissues. And so they have a symbiotic relationship between each other. They need each other. The one needs structure. The other one needs food. And so the thing is, it's like you're looking at a little city there. You know what I mean? It's interesting. That's why when they, they die or they, you know, they start getting hurt by something, they start turning white. And that's also why you see the reefs turn white when something bad happens. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's the same idea. Yeah. That's crazy. I didn't know really. I didn't really know that about enemies. Yeah. Incredible, huh? That's yeah. the color you're seeing is individual organisms. Yeah, that's wild. And then, so as you bring them back um, to to shore, then what's the process to to get them to the whoever ordered them? It matters where they're located. Some of them we've shipped to Japan, even and stuff. Really? You know? Yeah, no. Canada was a big one for a while. A place up there, Big Alice was a pet shop. I remember. And then, like, but then a lot of them, um, a lot of them are South Florida. A lot of them are like just throughout the U.S. Chicago is another place where some buys i remember california and the thing is you put them um we pack them with oxygen 100 percent oxygen and then we put either heat packs or cool packs in there depending huh. on yeah the, we look up the temperature for them the, for the place we're shipping to and everything we ship them quickly obviously you know like overnight and everything and we have them labeled tropical fish so you know the they don't throw them on their heads and stuff hopefully yeah yeah, yeah. and and they can live in that like a, a, one of those fish can live, like an angel fish can live in a bag with pure oxygen for what, a couple of days, maybe? Definitely um, at least two days minimum. Wow. Um, yeah, for definitely a while. It's incredible. Does anybody order the lionfish from the Keys? Is that is there a, is that a market? That's a funny thing because over the years I've noticed that lionfish are worth more dead now. <laughs> yeah, they really are though. I could sell a live lionfish, or we haven't gotten it in a while. Um, so I think they, they might put stipulations on. It. I haven't looked on it in so long because, like I said, they're not even worth it. But when they when we were doing it, it got to the point where it was like it, it was like five dollars for a you know I mean a lionfish or something you know like a live lionfish, and it's like. I could go to the restaurant, you know, marathon and sell them for five, you know, it's $7 a pound. And you know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, it's we were funny. just talking about that earlier, about how that is a success story of, of a fish that was looked at as not a food fish that has become a food fish and that, you know, there's, they probably are worth more dead than alive and they're tasty, you know, but a lot of people are kind of, um, you know, embracing that, that, Oh, well, we have this invasive fish here. We should eat them, and and they are. I think. I mean, I see them in a lot of restaurants. I'll be honest with you. Of all the fish I've eaten, I've had stuff from the Pacific. I've had stuff from you know here, of course, and it's my top three. It's in your top three lionfish. Do you do anything special to them? 
it's funny. No, I, I honestly eat them raw or I eat them just salt and pepper. And I, I, I skill fry them. They are just such a good fish. They're just so mild. Like that's the fish I would, if I had to pick a fish for someone that's never eaten fish before, yeah. you know, to like not get a bad impression, you know, because I feel like that happens for so many people with our seafood being mislabeled nowadays. That would be the one. Between that or Africa Pompano's good, scamps, all those, queen snappers, all those ones are just so good, you know? Yeah. And, and, um, available too. I mean, for the most part. African pompano. I don't know how often you you're you're getting those. Do you get those year round? Yeah, I actually I've dialed them in finally. That's why I said that on your question because I'm like I I've learned like when to look behind me because they don't like your eyes. They look they come up the back of your head, and I've got them almost every trip now. Really? Like I, I get them. It's like my gas payer, you know, like for sure thing just about. But they're hard to shoot more like because. I, I if you don't have a reel on your gun, especially they they have such a reaction speed like a wahoo that if you don't have a good tip like you know my commercial tips is just a single barb so it it sometimes like if I don't have a reel on my gun I I try to shoot them so when they take off it's hard to explain but when your shaft's going through them when they take off they'll take off so fast that the shaft still has um like the, the force from behind of it pushing through them that the barbs closed and, and then the push, the force them going the other way. Won't even get the, the shaft a, a chance to stop and let the barb open. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So it's physics, you know, it's like boom, boom, they're just off. And I'm, ah, so if you have a reel though and stuff like that, or you shoot them, I would start shooting sometimes towards the back, like near the tail. So like they flick the barb open and stuff, but yeah, no, that's, that's definitely like one of the things about them. You got to watch them. Yeah. And um, you mentioned uh, Kubera. That was your favorite to uh, to spear. And is that because of the price of it or because you just like that fish? <laughs> no, the, the the price is good, but when they get big, they, they the people, it, it's weird. It's more of a Miami and the Bahamas problem because of Singaterra. But in the Keys, it's, it's just not, I've never even heard about it around here. It seems like to be a Caribbean thing, you know, that algae. It is grown in the Bahamas and, you know, Miami's waters is, you know, near there. So the thing is, as long as you're, as long as you're, you know, though, like within the size that people around here, you know, want to, you know, buy everything like 50 pounds or under, it's good price. It's like mutton price. But that said, buy groupers much more. But the reason I like them is because they, they're incredibly smart. They're just, you know, beasts, just total, total, total beasts. Like they're, they, you could shoot them in. I've had one I shot. It was over 100 pounds, and it didn't even speed up its pace when I shot them. It's like they don't feel pain. Like they, I remember in Costa Rica, I shot a, a, a big 70-pounder, and it was a three-band gun and everything, and it just bounced off of me, looked down, looked up at me. Like, wow. It was a further shot, yes. You know, it wasn't point blank, but still it was just like they're just such badass animals. Excuse me, but like there's no other way to describe the ending. And then – my dad's got a 124-pounder off Marathon really? there back in the day, so I always looked up to that. And they're just put all your skills to the test. Like, like the little ones are one thing, you know, that a lot of people looking at shots of them like 30 and under, you know, but when they get over that, 50 and more, they really make you work for them. I got an 87 is my biggest so far, Dang. but I put shots in bigger ones, you know. Yeah. yeah. Scarred up and everything. They're just incredible animals. Like, they, they're so resilient. They are. I mean, they're 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 – that's the toughest. I think that's the toughest snapper for sure. And you're saying maybe the toughest fish down there, period, right? Intelligence? 
There's no, there's the only fish that if you were a fish and you knew someone had a spear gun, they do exactly what you would do. Like the big ones. You know what I mean? Like they don't get close to look at you or nothing. They see you and they out yeah. <laughs> you know? like black groupers, even even big black groupers are like semi-aggressive. Even sometimes like I've had 80 pound blacks rush me out there on the Gulf, you know, off Tortugas and stuff. And like, you know, but a lot of times, like, I'm not saying it's possible to compare. Sometimes you'll get one that's just out of his element, you know, and thinks maybe you're an opposing fish. But the night, most of the time, they'll see you, give you one look, which usually won't even be that far. I mean, even, what do you call it, even that close, and then they're gone. Or sometimes yeah. not even that. You'll just see your tail gone. <laughs> <laughs> do you, and when you see one that takes off like that, do you expect to see another one there somewhere? Well, sometimes, but... That one of the most incredible parts I, I failed to mention is that they're one of the only fish, though, that if you injure, they don't always hold up. Like, it's like, the, remember, I, back to what I was saying before about angelfish and all yeah. this stuff. You yeah. can know these animal senses because they go off of, you know, repetitive, you know, um, repetitive, instinctive, you know, measures. You know what I mean? And so it's like that, that animal, like, somehow knows that you will go in the wreck after them. Like, and they know, I mean, of course a nurse shark will do that, this and that, but like a lot of fish will just see cover right away because, right. you know, it, it seems scary, but I've seen them swim past a shipwreck, you know, like in the Atlantic where there's nothing else nearby, you know, injured, swim past the wreck and just swim out in the sand and keep going. And I'm just like, if it was a bull shark after him, I guarantee you, he wouldn't do that. He knows that I'm not a, a shark, you know, right. because he knows he can get chased down eventually, but he knows he's like, that thing's a... You know, that's that's a mammal over there. That that thing ain't made for the ocean. You know, right? <laughs> that's funny. Incredible. So for a for a third generation um, waterman, what? Tell me about your opinion of where we are with the sharks right now. Um, I feel like sharks are different because there's a lot of misinformation going around because there's other parts of the world that the sharks are definitely in decline. Yes, I won't deny that. But I will say in the Caribbean, between the Bahamas and the Florida Keys, there's not less sharks. And I don't have the science to say it, but maybe in the Keys I could say it. I could prove that. But I feel like there's almost more of them. Like, But you got to realize what humans do to the ecosystem because and there's a lot of different aspects of what we do. But then one of the things you got to think of is we put a lot of food in the water. We naturally do that you know what i mean like just for example look roll up your you've been on a commercial yellowtail boat like roll mm -hmm. to a spot that those yellowtails know the sound of their engine yeah you know there's stimuli that is being put out there and it's being addressed by these animals in a different way than they've done in all those years and so you got to realize the same thing for sharks you know like on top of having a bigger food source because we drop so much in the, the ocean you know food wise then you got to realize not only that you're they're not only more comfortable with humans, but they're also, you know, they can, they have the ability to be, you know, more plentiful, I feel like, because there's just such a higher food source than there. I mean, they know if they go somewhere, they're going to get fed now a lot of times. And by, so by chum or by um, divers feeding them or by fishermen fish being caught, get catching and them eating the fish right off the line. Yep. Taxing yeah. the fish. Right? Yeah. But yeah, no, they, they, they absolutely know it. And the thing is, I'm not saying go out there and kill all the things. I love sharks. I'm not going to lie to you. You know, like they, we need them. And that's the thing. That's, that's the balance, you know, that's the, the balance that I feel like people don't understand is that they're, we, we've messed with nature a little bit and we, we're going to have, um you know, we're going to have things happen like this, but 
at the same time, we can't, you know, just make a coal and coal all of them. You know, I mean, like, like it's one thing if things are getting dangerous and everything, and like, you know, there's certain things you don't want to do. Like, you don't want to constantly, you know, feed right up to, you know, sharks right up next to a, you know, a community area where a little kid could jump in and get bit. You know what right. I'm saying? There's stuff like that. But then, like I said, at the same time, like, there's, you don't. I've noticed if you know people that go to a spot and just kill the shark and this is a controversial thing because like and I have friends that even don't agree with this but like you go to the shark and you kill that I mean, you go on the spot you kill that bull shark something happens something weird happens I don't I I know for a fact one thing I can prove is that the sharks smell it and they, they leave that spot for a bit you know but there's some type of symbiosis symbi- symbiosis here that when it comes to those sharks dying that like I don't think the spot's quite as good for a while. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like the sharks might bring in something behind them, whether it's some uh, something that's affected that affects this, that affects this, and even affects the filter feeders. You know what I'm saying? Like, it start from the bottom, but we're, you know, we're, we're, <laughs> you know, this planet is very intricate, and we just still don't know everything about it for sure. You know, and yeah. there's there's things that, you know, like there, there's definitely. You know things to that. Man. I don't know how to put it, but it, something happens. So it's, it's, it's. There's definitely a fine line of what you should and shouldn't do when it comes to the sharks. But like I said, if it's in an area where someone could definitely get hurt and everything, and you know this animals like I've seen bull sharks. Like I've been under, been on a bridge and I've had bull sharks come right up to me and check me. That's what we call it because they see what you do, and that's that's how they react. They come up and see if you get fear them. They see if you you know, how you react to them. That's why when I do it to me, I rush back at them. You know what I mean? And so the thing is, I've had some, though, that are just dangerous. Like, just actually dangerous. I have no fish on me, nothing. Just territorial, mean, aggressive. Do I think a shark like that should be in the ecosystem creating more spawn that is possibly similar to that? No, I don't. I really don't. See what I mean? So yeah. there's, there's a balance here that us fishermen and divers and conservationists, commercial, recreational, whatever, we got to all understand that and come together on something. You know what I mean? Well, I believe that the coming together is what's missing entirely. I, I think yeah. that there's so many, and that's why I almost always lately I've been asking people you know, just what the opinion of, of sharks are because your perspective of sharks is way different than my perspective of sharks. I'm looking from the top down, and I can see them a little bit, and then they're gone, Right. You are looking at them with your eyes underwater in there with them. And when you're saying that, you know, like if you kill a shark, a a spot changes. Okay, that's a slightly different perspective. A a, a fisherman on top of the water might be might sense the same thing that it's not quite the same, but the perspective is different. Like you're seeing something, you're experiencing a change from the very bottom to the top. I don't know. It's very easy to say that you should kill them all, or it's very easy to say you should never kill them. But I like to hear everyone's different perspective on where we are with this population, because it does seem like in Florida it has really exploded. I mean, spear fishermen, uh, above water fishermen, tropical fish collectors, I don't know. Everybody's seeing more sharks, seems like. Yeah. And so what does that mean, and what do you do about it? Maybe nothing. I don't know. Um, But it seems like that's what a lot of people want to talk about is – you know, you should kill all the sharks or you should kill no sharks or there needs to be some sort of a season. I don't know. Everybody's got an opinion. And mm-hmm. I think it's interesting to hear the different perspectives from the from the different um, people that make their living on the on the ocean. Oh, yeah. That, that's the thing is, too, though, 
And then there's the other side. It's like you got to be careful of misinformation because you got a lot of people that just save the sharks and they don't really realize that, like, th that's a great thing to go, like, to, you know, I mean, go to where they're finning sharks like crazy, you know, go right. to, you know, with Asia and stuff like that. You know, I mean, all these places where they're, they're, they're tearing them up. Yeah. But, like, a lot of these people live in, you know, mainland U.S. and they're, you know, I mean, saying, you know, that, that things like, you know, like, oh, the sharks are dying. And then the problem is a misinformation, especially in this you know, 21st century, is that it's it's cancerous. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. it's, it's It grows and it, it's very bad. And so it's like people that actually make their living in the water, you know, see this stuff firsthand mix those views and then you got all these other things you know all these people that's the only problem about our communication nowadays is that you know you gotta it's, it's hard to filter it out sometimes right. so you know then you get you, you you have a fact that there is you know not a small amount of sharks in florida that's factual you can prove that this and that you know what i mean but then you've got things that like, you know, challenge that and everything but they're baseless a lot of times mm -hmm. and so it is definitely like it's it's a hard it's a hard you know subject for sure yeah especially i mean yeah even just between like someone that's very similar position to you like you're making your living as a commercial spear fisherman or someone who's collecting something not that much different than someone who's taking people snorkeling or whatever like you're making your living in the water one wants to see more sharks one wants to see less sharks you're basically doing almost the same thing. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I understand that there's a big difference between somebody taking yeah. a snorkeling trip and a spearfishing trip, but you're both in the water with people, right? Like, yeah. that, you're at the end of the day, that's how you're getting paid. And those two groups often are, are as, as different of opinion as, say, a commercial fisherman and a recreational fisherman or a, uh, a bait fisherman and a catch and release fly fishermen mm -hmm. like and and the the point is is that man we should we've got a lot more similarities than we have differences and oh, yeah. we should really try to understand what those are and band together rather than allowing these other groups to to pry us apart because once that happens we're not very strong and then none of us will be able to make our living on the ocean I mean, that's what could happen, right? Like, no more spearfishing, no more tourism, no more boats over here, no more this or that. And that's what I'm all about is, like, protecting the access that we all have. And I just think that the more we disagree about little things, and, you know, the population of a shark, shark population is not a little thing. That's a that's a big thing, right? And it sure is certain, certainly something that deserves to be studied and, and have some r correct science put around it, but... Man, there are a lot of little things that do pry us apart as as groups of fishermen, you know, spear fishermen, regular fishermen, whatever kind of fishermen. You shouldn't allow that, in my opinion. I know it's fun. It's fun with the sport. There's so much ego in it, you know. Yeah, and all so, in all types of it, right? Like in so every I mean, type of sports, I should say plural. Because, right. You know, I mean, just just watermen. You know, it's so much ego in it and stuff like that, and it's just like it's like this this one right here. You know, I mean, this person right here that does this type of like you know i mean fishing let's say they do deep dropping and stuff like that like the spear fisherman over here can't tell them you know 
what you know what what a you know what i mean like what a snowy grouper eats a lot of time you know what i'm saying but then vice versa they can't tell you know a spear fisherman you know where the hogs have been running you know what i'm saying it's like problem is nowadays though everyone uh, not everyone but you know what i mean a lot of people feel like you know what i mean they know what's best for another trade that's not their trade that's yes. the problem sometimes yes that's right and it's okay to put regulations on that group over there because it really doesn't affect what I'm doing. That's dangerous too. That's another thing. Remember, I said like that's a whole other subject. But I will say though, like um, you gotta be careful because, like, for example, a tropical fish trade. You know, there's 40 of us. You know, I mean, that could just be shut down like this. You know, what I mean, there's no power. You know, what I mean, right. but then it's like look at all the other you know commercial trades and everything. And like, like I get blanketed as a commercial fisherman. I'm a spear fisherman, you know. And you know, I mean, it, it's there's so many little things like that. But I'm still like under all those same laws. You know, what I mean, it's about who has the you know the most, the biggest industry. You know, this and that, it can do the most. It really is. Yeah. You know, that's a really controversial one for sure. That one's definitely. Yeah. So um, as we're wrapping this up. What about uh, we move off that subject and into something um, cooler? What what's the uh, what's the best fish that, that you've been, managed to spear this year? This year, Ooh. Um, just well, since the start this, of January. <laughs> well, this year it's, we only we're only like twenty one days in, so I'm sure you've got some good ones then. But you know, I mean, recently in the last in the last three hundred sixty five days, I know I got a nice Cabera that was like a sixty five pounder out front, like pretty close to home. It was nice. I think my biggest black last year was definitely like 50, 55 pounds. Yeah. It's pretty good. A lot of nice fish. I mean, I didn't have any crazy, crazy prize ones. I got some giant. I know I got some giant lobsters. I was in the Bahamas. I was really? cool. I got like one that was 12 pounds. That was pretty cool. Oh, I got a world record. Lobster. I got a world record parrotfish in the Bahamas. Really? Wow. Yeah. It's funny because I, I, I've, I've grown up collecting them, tropical fish and like, you know, I've never hunted them. That's not really anything. And my buddy there, my, my, my driver and everything, my Bahamian buddy, he was funny. He was telling me, he's like, he's like, man, he's like, dude, give me a nice fish, you know, for my Christmas dinner. I'm like, all right, you got any ideas what you want? And twice now is the second time he told me, he's like, I want a big parrot fish. And I'm like, all right, you know, and the laws there are different and you know, there's, you got to use the pole spear and everything. And, that's funny because I'm like, all right. And like about an hour later, I look and I saw this beast parrotfish. He's like, he's about 40 pounds just about. And I, I look down, I look up and I'm like, Joe, you sure you want a parrotfish, right? And he's like, yeah, man, for sure. I go down and I shot on a video and I, I, I shot the parrotfish and everything, pull spirit him. I got him up and it was funny because like I got him up and I didn't think much. And I'm like, wow, this thing's a beast. It's crazy. His beak, his beak is this big, wow. giant beak. And wow. is, I, I got him up and I gave it to him, whatever, you know, and like, I, I didn't think much of it. And then he, he goes home and he starts cleaning it. And it's like, I never forget, it's like nine o'clock at night or so. And I'm just like chilling there and relaxing. And I'm like, huh, I'm going to look up the, the record, you know. And I look in the parafish on the record thing for pole spears, like 20 pounds. It's like not <laughs> even close. I was like, what? As I call him, like, Joey, wait, 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 wait. He already gilled it and he already gutted it. <laughs> but it was still 10 pounds bigger still. Wow. So I submitted it. I still submitted it. It was, um, he's 31 pounds, but that's without gills and guts. Wow. So you'd probably, I'm guessing 36, probably whole or something. Will they take that? Like what, what's the, what's the record keeping organization for spearfishing? Yeah. No, they, 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 they said they'll take it. It's all good. I did everything. It's IUSA. It's all free dive only records, huh. you know? That's it. Well, and, I guess because, like, you know, in regular fishing, um, if the fish is mutilated, it doesn't count as a record. 
Mm -hmm. right like and and often in a tournament like if a shark bites bites it on the tail or whatever then it won't count and people have lost like million dollar marlin like that but i guess that's the nature of spearfishing it's always going to come up with a hole in it yeah but gutted i feel like also though gutted is is if anything i feel like in my opinion if i ran something like that i would make everyone gut their fish but i'm commercial so me (laughs) gutting i don't look at gutting the same way it's like it's like eating breakfast you know i mean i don't know like it's a normal function but like you know i mean there's a lot of people around there that's not gonna like you know want to gut their fish and stuff but that's the best way because like i feel like people put weights in fish and stuff and at least if they're gutted they'll fall out the bottom (laughs) You did know? you see the walleye guys that yeah. did that? And they were trying to win big money. What a they, joke. What a that joke. That was ridiculous, guys, man. And then that guy got in trouble again for something else. Like what? they went to his house. Yeah, I saw that allegedly um, went to his house and he had all, all these deer deer mounted on the on the wall. And they could tell that some of them, a large number of them were poached. Like, I guess, like, I don't know if you deer hunt or anything, but, um, you know, you can look at trail cameras and deer are just like, lots of other species like they're very they have they have identifying traits right their their antlers mm. look a certain way and you can see them year after year after year and then all of a sudden it's gone on this date and it never shows up again but mm. it happens to be like some people have gotten in trouble at sports shows and stuff like that like they bring in this this head and they're like yeah look i did this and the guy's like that's the deer off my property and they go back and look at the all the all the different pictures that they had and they had pictures of this deer every single day until this one day and then it never showed up again and then here it is at the sports show and people have gotten in big trouble for that but apparently those walleye guys got allegedly those walleye guys got in trouble for something like that like some people just can't stay out of trouble man like why i mean obviously they they know how to hunt and fish but like they just can't stay out of trouble i don't know why you would be driven to do that uh, no, where's the valor in that? <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't like, either, where's the man. honor, you know? I don't know. I don't know. But uh, I could tell you that when you go down and spear a big Kubera, that's, that, that would be that would be pretty awesome. I've never done that. But, uh, oh, yeah. That sounds pretty awesome. Incredible animals. The big teeth, too. That's, yeah. that's cool. I've been bit by them. That's another aspect I mentioned. You have mentioned been bit by reason. one? After, yeah, after, after you speared one, it? Or, or like a free swimming one? No, no, I, I shot him, and yeah. then he saw the fence and grabbed my leg. Ah, they, they get you good. Dude, I bet so. I mean, like, stitches good? I didn't get stitches, no. Um, no, he didn't give me that good. Akuda got me that good, I'll tell you what. But, no, Cabrera, I, it wasn't – it was, like, 20, 25 pounds, but it still hurt. Like Akuda, that uh, – was that coming after a fish on a on a, on on your shaft or, or just free swimming straight and just bit you? Um, it's a funny story. Um, I've had them almost get me while chasing. You know, it's funny for some reason when you shoot a rainbow runner, they just go crazy. I don't know what it is or, or a rainbow runner or, um, or like a yellow jack. Those two fish with kudas, they just, they see red, like they just go nuts. And I've had them actually grab on the back of my, I had the rainbow runner. So I'm going to runners. They don't have any structure near them. So they use you as a structure. Huh. They shoot another run by you. I had one run by my face, go behind me. And then the Cuda took off by my neck, grabbed him, broke the line. And then the line laid over my shoulder before I even knew what happened. I was like, Whoa. and I pulled the line. I was like, Oh, but that one that bit me though. Um, I actually, I shot the Cuda. I was going to use them for deep drop bait. I was on my way out to pulley Ridge. On, on those long trips when I had my big boat and I would dive my way out before it got too deep, of course. And then I would uh, deep drop bandit reels. Mm-hmm. And like, 
I remember I was going out and I shot him for the bait and he went crazy. And I forget, I had five amberjacks on me, like big amberjacks. And I'm on my anchor line sitting there in, in deco, decompressing 200 foot dive. I think I was diving that submarine out there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I literally, I shot, shot the Cuda and he's going crazy. I never forget. He wraps around the anchor line above me and like a, a pivot point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like a, like a protractor, you know? And yes. then he gets like, it's kind of like this and I see him coming. Keep in mind, I have five amberjacks. Each one's, you know, they're golf amberjacks, 40 plus pounds each. And I'm like, oh crap, <laughs> I couldn't move. And so all I did is I'm coming down. He's coming, he's coming. All I did is I covered up the best I could. And he grabbed my thigh. He really oh, grabbed, wow. like, he didn't mean to. He's not an aggressive fish. If people understand, kudos are not aggressive at all. Right. I've, I've had them in aquariums and I had them get beat up by the other fish. You know what I mean? They're, they're not mean fish. But like, I'm telling you, this thing came in. Out of fear, I shot him in the face, so he's freaking out with his mouth open. He just hit my thigh, and he basically put put a hole. I only had board shorts on, too. I didn't have bottom wetsuit, and I had a hole in the top, from the top jaw, and a small one in the bottom. And my fat, like yellow fat, was hanging out. Wow. Luckily, I didn't hit the artery or nothing. But that got me, and it was it was leaking really slowly, but like I, I knew I was okay. It was the first day of a five-day trip, and that sucked. It was a, it's the very first day. And I put two grand in the boat, you know, how much it costs to get out there and everything. And I, I ended up just um, putting like, you know, alcohol, hand sanitizer, all sorts of stuff on it, and betadine and all this every, every day. And I'd wrap it up, but I kept diving. And the funniest part of that whole trip is the dive after, like four hours later, I had surface time and I wrapped it up. The dusky sharks on the way down on the tugboat, you know, north of Tortugas, yeah. on that boat there, were following me and messing with me before I had fish. And I'm like, what the heck? And I realized I was still leaking, you know. Oh, and I'm man. like, it is true what they say. They really do, you know, go after your blood when it comes down to it. Dang. Yeah. And then you stay five days and then go get yeah. stitches? I should have got stitches. That's what I mean. It should have. It was worthy of stitches, but, like, I just kept doing, you know, I kept wrapping up, cleaning that night. in the salt water, I'm a big I believe that clean salt water is works wonders. Yeah. Like I, I got bit by a reef shark not long ago, actually, but I, I had a really good glove on, but like, you know, like it, like I just, I, I cleaned it out real good and I kept diving. And like, I, I've noticed that like, you know, salt water, people underestimate how good it is for you. I'm not talking like dirty, you know, you gotta right. worry about infection salt water, but right. like clean, good salt water, you know, do the initial clean, obviously, you know, I'm not saying just jump right in, but like, that is incredible for your wounds. It really is. Yeah, it's fa- everything heals fast, and sickness your fingernails too. grow like crazy. Yeah, you know, sickness like, too. I think. Yeah, yeah I do. I, well, I mean, yeah. yeah, I think it's. I think the ocean is the, is the that's that's the heart of the whole world, right? Like, mm. it's a living organism, and you're yeah. in it. Like that's. I, I believe that too. What else have you been bit by? Um. So yeah, the reef shark was the other day. I got so lucky though. I had an armor glove on, but it just punctured my fingers. Here, you kind of see. Yeah. Um, he ran up to me and got me though, but that that was the most recent one. Um, why were you wearing an armored glove? Did you know you were gonna? What were you doing? Well, it's these these gloves that um you see them the red red and black. They have a hammerhead shark on them. Yeah. And they have rubber. They're not like metal armored, but they're armored enough to definitely save me a big difference. Right. And it, it had um this rubber right here, and nitrile is the whole thing. So it's like. Kevlar nitrile and then it's got these rubber tops to them and that's what saved me the most and basically that that it's a no, my normal dive glove but it's like the strongest one I have and yeah. that's like the game changer no yeah I had a sea turtle get me I remember a sea, turtle. sea turtle bit you yeah a sea turtle you grab I never forget you like grabbed onto my 
I was like diving and it was like dirty water is a funny story. <laughs> yeah, it was it was really dirty water and I'm like looking around, I shot a grouper and I was like pulling up and I had it on me and I'm like just like worried about you know something gonna come up on me. I never forget all of a sudden boom I got hit in the back. I'm like, what the heck? I'm like, I'm dead, you know what I mean? Like what and I look over my shoulder and it's just giant three hundred you know, two hundred and fifty pound, you know, loggerhead and you just God, he bites my shoulder, but he grabs my my wetsuit like this, I went, oh my god, and I elbowed him in the face as I swam away. <laughs> I never guess what scared I was for like 50 milliseconds before I knew what happened because I had a fish on me and I just something just smacked right into me, you know what I mean? Wow, yeah, I mean, a turtle doesn't give either, like there's no give in that thing. No, that was crazy, I was at that rubble pile on the Atlantic, you know one of those rubble piles you know? Uh -huh. It's crazy though, I mean. I've never heard well, of a turtle biting someone, do they do that? Is that is that uh, like common? It's no, they're old and blind, yeah. and then you gotta watch out because they think you're in our turtle. Okay. <laughs> you gotta be careful. So they're just like so aggressive, or they're mating season. So yeah. one or the other, you gotta watch them. I gotcha. But that's rare. That's like the old. Like I said, this thing's eyes were like clouds. You know, they were so old. Like uh, you know, what I mean, it's it's not something you see a turtle in the reef like oh, like no, it's it's not something that's gonna happen like that. It's the type of thing that happens to you if you're in the ocean a lot, a lot, a lot, and that little statistic draw falls on you, you know. Right. <laughs> that, yeah. That's like uh, the last thing that you think was gonna happen is get bit by a turtle. I hope that's not gonna be what what takes you out. That would be ironic. I know, um, right? Yeah. Um, well, if somebody wanted to to go uh, with you on on one of these dives, what would they do? Cause we're running out of time here. So uh, um, I'm still setting up everything for like the, the guides and everything, yeah. you know, right now I'm doing them like the Bahamas and so, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting everything into place and to, you know, do it on my, my own vessel and everything as of. And then, um, so just basically you can contact me on my um, social media, um, sling and steel works on my Facebook, my name, steel rocket. Um, any of that's fine. And, um, that or and if they ever like if they just was putting us out there if they like diving and they love um you know the ocean nature any of that they want to see some you know like sharks they want to see some intense you know like harvesting and you can check my YouTube out too okay. it's the same name Sling and Steel Sling and Steel all right yeah a lot of shipwreck history World War II shipwrecks all sorts of interesting stuff on there oh that's cool yeah I would definitely check that out you pick up some new people from this and uh, definitely definitely check out his Instagram that's where I've uh, seen seen most of your stuff uh, but I'm gonna check out the YouTube too sounds cool. Um, awesome. All right, man. Well, it's been great. I learned a lot about tropical fish collecting for one thing, but uh, also diving. And I really appreciate you uh, giving us your perspective on the sharks. Um, but I'll run into you maybe uh, in Big Pine. Where do you live? In Big Pine or? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm on a I'm on a houseboat. Um, yeah, in, in Big Pine area. Okay, right off of the boat ramp or where? Um, yeah, yeah. It's in Pine Channel there. Yeah. So. Okay. All right. Cool. Fish in there all the time. Um, all right. Well, uh, it was great getting to know you, and uh, we'll uh, be back with another great guest just like Steel Rocket next week. All right, so come back. See you. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more. I'm Will Cooper 
host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. If you haven't already, download the free Waypoint TV app to listen to our podcast and watch the original films from HuntStand Presents anywhere, anytime, and on any device.